today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. love Paul's heart for the Lord. You see it in, in every aspect. As, as much as he was so vehement and so focused in his, again, accusations against the church prior to his conversion, as he went in, in such a, a fierce way to bring charges against those that were Christians, now as a Christian, that same energy, that same drive, that same passion, but now rightly focused, we, we see going here. We, we see it in his calling, we see it in his message, we see it in his attitude, and we even see it in his struggles. It's rather amazing how the Lord redeems the abilities we once used against him as non-believers to bring glory to his name. However, many of us tend to shy away from anything and everything of our past, even if the Lord is calling us to use them. In today's message, Pastor David reflects on the fervor and zeal of the Apostle Paul, who once used it against God. In our study, we learn how the Lord redeems not only our souls, but even the abilities and passions that we had before coming to Christ. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Shipwrecked. We are in First uh, Timothy chapter 1. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me there. We are actually the last couple of verses in chapter 1 tonight is where we're going to be covering it. I'd like to just start right there, right at the beginning of the message. Chapter 1 of First Timothy, verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. These words here that we just read, this, this last portion of chapter 1, they, they come following that little uh, sidestep that we looked at last week, the end of the message last week. We saw just uh, one quick little verse where in the midst of his instructions, in the midst of his encouragement to Timothy to get about the business of taking care of those that are dragging the church into false doctrine, suddenly Paul breaks out in that short declaration of of praise and, and worship. Verse 17, look at it there with me if you would. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, To God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Just like right out in the middle of everything. We spoke about that a little bit at the close of the service last week. And again, we find these kinds of spontaneous words 
really all throughout Paul's writings. We Some of them are, are, are fairly short, uh, just giving glory and praise to God, and some are a little bit more lengthy. And uh, in Romans chapter 11, Paul is writing again about how uh, God's not finished with, with Israel yet. He's still working in them. In fact, Romans 9, 10, and 11 really confirms the fact that the church did not replace Israel, that God still has a plan and purpose for them, that God's mercy still extends to the people of Israel. Now, that, that mercy, though, isn't extended only to the Jews. It's extended to you and I as, as Gentiles. And, and though the Jews were the original branches of the tree, the Gentiles were the branches that got grafted on. And so Paul's writing out all this stuff to explain that to the Romans. And then there in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, he breaks out again. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And again, my, my mind, I'm picturing this as Paul's just probably dictating this thing to his secretary because we know with, with Paul's situation, I believe that he had problems with his eyes and he probably had a secretary that, uh, you know, that would write these things. He, he probably just breaks out in this praise right in the midst of the, the instruction that he's given to him. When he writes to the church at Ephesus, the very church that Timothy is pastoring, the very church that there, there's problems here that Paul's trying to deal with through Timothy. Well, when he writes to them, his epistle to the church of Ephesus, uh, again, in chapter three, he's speaking about this wonderful plan that God has of allowing the Gentiles to become joint heirs together with the Jews, to be partakers of God's kingdom and the promise of Christ through the gospel. And then at the end of that passage, once again, he just kind of breaks out in the praise of, of the wonder and the power of Almighty God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So again, this whole idea, I, I love Paul's heart for the Lord. You see it in, in every aspect. As, as much as he was so vehement and so focused in his, again, accusations against the church prior to his conversion, as he went in, in such a, a fierce way to bring charges against those that were Christians, now as a Christian, that same energy, that same drive, that same passion, but now rightly focused, we, we see going here. We, we see it in his calling, we see it in his message, we see it in his attitude, and we even see it in his struggles even when Paul is struggling in areas in his life, whether it be the physical struggles of the thorn in the flesh or whether it's of the, the attacks of the enemy that's coming against him, accusations that come against him, all of these things. Paul was committed to the Lord's perfect plan and the per, Lord's perfect way in his life. He knew that in the midst of that perfect plan that there were gonna be detractors, there were gonna be false teachers that would come in and they would just try to destroy what the Lord was doing through his church. And so following that short time of praise here in 1 Timothy, Paul returns back to this charge to young Timothy. 
Remember, this charge actually began way back over in verse 3, the opening verses there of chapter 1. In verse 3, he said, Timothy, I want you to remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. And now here in verse 18... The apostle uses that same word, that word charge, as he used there in verse 3. And again, that word in the Greek, it's a word that would be an urgent command from a superior officer. I charge you. In other words, you, you don't have an option here, Timothy. You need to do this. This is a, Paul is speaking to Timothy, not only as his father in the faith, but also as an apostle over the church, also as the one who founded that church in Ephesus. And he says, Timothy, I charge you. And here in verse 18, where we're at this evening, he says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage the good warfare. So you see this whole kind of uh, attitude, this this verbiage of um, kind of a military verbiage that he's using. I charge you, there's, there's a war that's going on. You need to be careful. You need to be in the midst of it. Paul recognized God's call in Timothy's life. Timothy had already been singled out by the Holy Spirit and that same Holy Spirit had let some to to speak prophecies into Timothy's life concerning him and his future ministry. As Paul says here, prophecies previously made concerning you. These were prophecies, I believe, concerning not only his service to the Lord Jesus Christ, but Perhaps even prophecies concerning the problems that he's going to face and going to be put into in service in the ministry. A little bit later here in First Timothy in chapter 4, Paul actually refers to that call once again. He says in First Timothy chapter 4 verse 14, he says, don't neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership or the the leadership or the bishopry. So back here in chapter 1, bouncing you back and forth, Paul continues on with that idea, the the, the terms, the mindset uh, of the battle that's there, reminding Timothy that we're all involved in a great spiritual battle, a great spiritual battle. I want to ask you for a raise of hands, but I want you... just think about this this week. In the battlefield, now some of you may have been in, maybe haven't, but I think all of us are at least familiar with the situation of war. There are some battles that are small skirmishes, amen? And then there are others that are, man, it just seems like, man, this is, this is totally a, a life and death situation. We, we may lose everybody in this situation if we are not on target and in focus. And you know what? Spiritual battles are that same way. I, I'm, I'm sure I could go across the room tonight. Say, have you had any kind of a spiritual struggle or battle this week at all? Big, large, little, whatever it might be. And there's, there's no doubt that probably every one of us have in some way or form or fashion. Some of them have been small skirmishes, like that gnat that's in the air that you just got to get rid of. 
And then there's others. No, this is, this is like full-on warfare. You know, the, the enemy and all of his hordes of, of, of demonic warfare coming against either to destroy my testimony in the Lord or to destroy my family or to destroy my finances or to destroy my health or, man, just to bring me down and discourage, whatever it might be, I think that every one of us understand there is spiritual warfare that goes on. Amen. Okay, I just want to make sure that we're on the same track and you are aware of that. And by the way, if you've never been involved or if you don't think that you've ever been involved in spiritual warfare, one of two things. Maybe you're not truly a believer or maybe as a believer, you're of absolutely no threat to the enemy because if you are a threat to the enemy, you will be in warfare. That's just the reality of it. Our enemy, I know, he is defeated. There is no doubt about that. He is a defeated enemy, but yet he continues to fight on his way out. And on his way out, he is working to drag down and injure as many as he possibly can. Paul tells Timothy that as a pastor... You need to remember there is a battle that's going on and I want to be certain, Timothy, that you wage a good warfare in the midst of that. It's only through that equipping power of the Holy Spirit and the fulfillment of those prophecies that Timothy or any of us are able to wage that good warfare through the work, through the power, through the enabling, through the gifting of the Holy Spirit. You try and fight the enemy on your own, you're gonna lose. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. When you know that there is a battle going on, you and I need to be praying, Lord, empower me, strengthen me, cover me, fill me fresh and new. How could we even begin to imagine to go into the battlefield unprepared? We'd be absolute fools. And beloved, the problem is, is that there's many foolish believers in the world today, and there was in the first century. Whenever the enemy attacks, whenever he rises up against us, he's going to attack from a variety of, of, of battlefields, and he's going to use a variety of, of, of battle weapons. If you think you've handled it because he's been shooting at you with a, a 22 and you've been able to dodge and, 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 and guard against that, well, when he pulls out the big guns and the big weaponry, you need to be ready for that too. And you know what? You know what I found in my couple of years as a Christian? He will come at the most inconvenient time and he will use whatever trickery he possibly can. And he will do that to defeat you, to discourage you, to distract you, to destroy you. Now, whenever he comes, we've got to be prepared. We've got to be able to stand against those attacks. A portion of what Paul is speaking about here is that preparation is the absolute need that you and I and every believer has to have in having faith and a good conscience. Faith and a good conscience. He, he says it right there again, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, right there in verse 19. Our faith has to be founded 
It has to be founded in, in, in truth. It has to be founded in solid doctrine. That's why as we've shared this, and I said, I think it was last week or the week before, you need to have good, solid doctrine. Doctrine is not a, a foul four-letter word. It is a powerful word that you and I need to have as a foundation of what we believe and why we believe it. We have to have that true and sound foundation. We have to have a solid and true understanding of God's word. There's many people that have faith. All over the world, there's many people that have faith. But there's only one faith that's going to save. There's many people that have faith. But there's only one faith that's going to give you the correct course. There's many people in this world that have faith, but true faith is in what Paul praised just a moment ago in verse 17. True faith is in the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the Lord Jesus Christ. If our faith isn't focused in there, beloved, there's no foundation. It matters what you believe. It matters who you believe in because sincerity and depth of commitment mean nothing when they are focused on the wrong goal. I want to give that to you again because unfortunately there are a lot of even believers, Christians, who look at some others who are outside of Christianity and say, but they're a good person. They're very devout. They're very sincere. They're very committed. But beloved, if they are not devout, sincere, and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're also very lost. Very lost. Sincerity and depth of commitment mean nothing when they are focused on the wrong goal. Last night at sunset, That was the beginning of Ramadan for the Muslim world. 1.6 billion Muslims in the world today. Now, many of those, many of those are good people. Many of them are devout. Many of them are committed. And they're going to be observing this entire month. Actually, it goes till uh, June 24th, sunset on June 24th. They're going to look at this as as the time of year when the verses of the the, the first verses of the Quran were given to their prophet Muhammad. And that's what Ramadan is all about. It's supposed to be a time of fasting every day from sunrise to sunset. After sunset, they can can eat or they can have a big breakfast before sunrise. But during the day, supposedly no eating or drinking of any liquids or, or of any food at all. It's supposed to be a time of spiritual discipline. It's supposed to be a time of deep contemplation of one's relationship with God. It's supposed to be a time of extra prayer. It's supposed to be a time of increased charity and, and generosity. It's supposed to be a time of intense study of the Quran. And there are many within Islam that, man, they focus down on that. And that's exactly what this month is about. Problem is, their devotion and their commitment is toward a wrong focus. They do not know the one true God. They do not know his son, Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of their deep spiritual discipline, they're missing the one true hope of salvation. They're missing Jesus Christ. Beloved, our faith as believers 
That is the bulwark of our life. That's the foundation. That's the strength of our lives. And if it's misdirected, if it isn't focused, if it isn't active, you and I, we cannot and we will not do well in obedience to what the Lord has presented to us and what the Lord is leading us to through his son. If we're not well-focused, if our Christianity is just kind of hanging out here someplace and we draw it in on the weekends or we draw it in when certain issues come into life, if it's not a focus of our life, I guarantee you we're not going to do well in our Christian walk. Paul tells Timothy, not only in having faith, but you need to have a good conscience, Timothy. And Paul joins these two characteristics. Again, both of them need to be there to fight the fight of our Christian faith and to be able to win the battle that, that we're all in. Whereas our faith deals directly with our commitment to Jesus Christ, our belief in the faithfulness of God, and our belief in the power of his word. That's where our faith is focused and directed. When he speaks of a good conscience, this comes from being found faithful and being found obedient. I can go to sleep at night with a good conscience knowing that the day prior to that, I have sought to find the Lord, I have sought to serve the Lord, I had sought to honor the Lord. But if that's not true in my life, then I can't go to bed in the evening with a good conscience because, again, I know that, man, I really was off track there. Man, I really drug myself through the pits over there. And, man, God was nowhere in my mind or my focus during that portion of my day. I can't go to sleep with a good conscience if that's been my day. Our religion and our morality, our faith, and our walk cannot be separated. Cannot be separated. Let me give that to you again. Our religion and our morality, our faith and our walk cannot be separated. Otherwise, you and I are destined for shipwreck. We can't faithfully declare one thing and and live another without it doing severe damage in our spiritual lives. It, did, it does damage to the testimony of our faith and the world around us, our, our family, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers. They know, man, she says one thing, but she lives another. He, he says, declares one thing. That's not how he acts at work. Warren Wiersbe tells us that someone has defined conscience as that inner voice that warns us that somebody may be looking. But, but he goes on to say, but a man with a good conscience will do the will of God in spite of who is watching or what people might say. You just do the right thing regardless of where we're at. When we reject our faith, when, when, when our life no longer allows for a good or a clear conscience. We've already gotten to that point. Long ago, we, we passed all the warning signs of the Holy Spirit's wooing, the, the warning signs of the Word of God, the warning signs of the, the preached Word, the, the warning signs of the testimonies of brothers. We've already gone past all of those warning signs. Once our conscience has, has become seared, once we got to that point, again, we, we're, we're not really walking in the fullness of our faith. We've already passed all the warning signs. 
And beloved, it, it's not a condition that you just suddenly wake up some morning and you say, no, I think I'm going to just go anywhere, go where, and just reject. No, this is a process. We're so glad you joined us today for The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. If you've enjoyed today's message and would like to listen again, just visit TheOpenWord.com. There are several other teachings that we encourage you to download, share, and listen to anywhere you go. We know it can be hard to find time in this busy world to sit and study the Bible in depth, but we've tried to make it a little easier. Pastor David's insights into God's Word can be taken with you on the go, filling those pauses in your day with promises and truth. We're so glad we can provide these Bible studies for you through the ministry of The Open Word. We'd like to ask you, though, to be a part of what we're doing here. With more information, here's Pastor David. I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word. And God has given us a vision to see the ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Pastor David. There's much more to learn from the book of 1 Timothy, so tune in again to Pastor David's teaching on The Open Word.